All right, so I have a quick question for everybody. When you came into this room, and even now, are there things that you're thinking about? Are there things that you're planning for? Are there things that you want to accomplish? Are there things that you're worrying about? I would assume if we thought about it, we're all worrying about something. We're all planning for a birthday party or a trip coming up or something. And this is how we function. We are a planning people. We are a worrying people. And I'm going to talk about planning and worrying this morning because I think they go hand in hand. When we plan, we worry. When we worry, we try to plan. Like it is just this cycle of I'm going to worry about everything and try to plan everything as well. And I really see this in my husband. If I did not have Connor, I probably would not survive because I do not plan. Like I am not a planner, but Connor, he is a planner. For example, we went um, to Colorado a couple months ago, I guess a month ago, when our little baby turned one. We said, you know what? We're going to leave you with grandma. We're going to go on a really cool trip we've always wanted to go on to just celebrate the year that we've had you. Um, so if you have a one-year-old, I really advise to do that. It was really fun. But Connor researched this trip for months, like for a long time. So like we knew where we were staying because we were staying in multiple places in Colorado. So we knew the days we were going to travel. We knew where we were going to coffee, lunch, and dinner every single day. Like we knew to a T what we were doing every single day. And people kept asking me, like, hey, what are you going to do in Colorado? What are you guys doing? I don't know. Like, I have no idea. I don't know where we're staying. I haven't planned for this at all, but I know that Connor has. So I'm just going to follow him onto the plane, follow him off, and that's just how we're going to do the trip. And it was, it was great. But he's also a researcher. Like, if we buy a new TV or a toaster, he researches that thing for, like, months because there's some worry in there of if I don't do my research, if I don't do my planning, I could miss out on, like, the best deal or the best TV, which me, I'm going to go into, I was about to say Home Depot. I don't think you buy TVs at Home Depot, but I'm going to walk into wherever they sell TVs, and I'm going to say, I just want that one. That one looks good. Let's take it home. All right, so we are very different in that area, but I would assume that probably over half of us in the room, this is our life. We plan and we worry. We plan and we worry. And the problem with planning is what happens when COVID-19 hits, people we know start to pass away and our world shuts down. What happens when inflation hits and our savings go out the window? or that diagnosis that you never thought you were gonna get, you get the news, or your marriage is crumbling right in front of your eyes? What happens when your kids aren't pursuing God as you thought they would? What happens when you wanted to be married with kids at 25 but you're 36 and you're single? Our planning really doesn't matter when it comes to this earth, when it comes to this life that we live. We will realize quickly when we worry and when we plan that we are not in control. And because we aren't in control, worrying adds nothing to our lives but wasteful time. And planning incorrectly only leaves us with disappointment and heartbreak most of the time and a sense of hopelessness. Sometimes even hopelessness in God's power and faithfulness over our lives. 
So my message title this morning is How to Not Worry and Plan Correctly. How to Not Worry and Plan Correctly. And we have been in a series of James, the book of James. And over the past couple of weeks, he is fully convinced that if we have a personal relationship with Jesus, that should change everything about our lives. The way we talk, the way we treat people. And what James is going to tell us today is if we have a personal relationship with Jesus, that should also determine the way that we plan. And I love James because he can be very convicting. And here's the thing about the book of James. He doesn't really care about our feelings. Like I think about me if I'm talking to like one of my non-believer friends or even someone that I don't know very well. I'm very cautious about my words, right? Like even if we're talking about like spiritual things, like I don't want to step on their toes or whatever it is. James is not like that. James is going to put a mirror up to our sin and say this isn't right. If you are pursuing Jesus, you should not be doing this. And that's the same tone that he has with us in James 4. So I'm going to be in James 4, 13 through 16. And so we start in verse 13. He says, come now, you who say. And this isn't like, hey, gather around, I have something to say. James is saying, hey, look you, hey, pay attention. I have something to speak into your life. So come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Verse 16, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So the main point of this passage is the pride and arrogance of man, which is an attitude of authority manifested in an overbearing manner or in a presumptuous claims or assumptions. And so this pride or arrogance of man, it is saying, I believe that I have authority over my days. I believe and presume that I know what's coming next. So it's the pride and arrogance of man versus the sovereignty of God. Now, James, in this passage, he's talking to rich people who are probably traveling who are in the business world. And that is some of us today. You guys maybe have your own businesses or maybe you've been very successful or you travel for business and you are just trying to make money. Like you are just trying to be successful. You are just trying to provide for your family. James is talking to you. But for the rest of us in the room, if you've ever acted like you are in control of your movements, your destinations, your time, what you will do in that time, and how successful you will be in something, James is talking to us. And he's not just talking to us, he is rebuking us, saying when we plan incorrectly, when we plan within arrogance, thinking we know our days to come, that is evil. It's sinful. And we see this throughout scripture, boasting about tomorrow. So Proverbs 27, one says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what the day may bring. And then Jesus talks about, about it in Matthew 6. But Jesus is talking more about worry in this passage. And this morning, I'm not talking about anxiety. I believe that worry and anxiety, they are related, but not the same. 
Anxiety, you feel physically anxious, um, uh, worried about what will happen, but that's like a holistic feeling, right? Like I, I feel anxious, like I, I don't want to get out of bed or I don't want to do something, so that's anxiousness. But worry is all in the mind. You will mull over situations over and over again because you're nervous about an outcome or circumstance that stats say will probably never happen. 90% of the things we worry about will not come to pass. 90% of the things that we are thinking about on a daily basis doesn't even happen. And I'm not talking about the thoughts that pop up and say, oh, that, that would suck, but it'll be fine and I'm going to move on with my day. I'm talking about the things that take over your mind, the things that keep you up at night. Those are, is the worry that Jesus is talking about, the type of worry that people can notice when they're around you. Don't you have those friends, or maybe it's you where like you're just constantly thinking about everything you're worried about, and you'll speak that over people or speak that over your friends. Man, you can tell when someone is just worried all the time. So this is what Jesus says about it in Matthew 6, 25. It says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Therefore, verse 34, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. And so James is saying if you plan incorrectly, meaning when you have an attitude that is I will decide what tomorrow brings, no one decides what I do with my life, it's my life and I will decide what happens, I'm in control of the details. And Jesus is saying if you worry profusely, if you worry about the things of this world over and over and over again, you will waste your life. If you plan incorrectly, if you worry profusely, you will waste your life. So that brings me to my next question. What is our life? And James tells us in verse 14, and he asks the question, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You are a mist, meaning you are here today, gone tomorrow. You are the fog that is in the morning, that a moment goes by and it's gone. You are a mist. And so here's what we know about our life. It's short, it's fragile, and we are not in control. This is the life we live. It is short, it is fragile, and we are not in control. Now, as a teenager, I did not understand this. I thought I was bulletproof, like literally thought nothing bad could happen to me. But now as an adult, looking back on my life, and I'm not kidding, I don't know how I'm standing in front of you. The things I was doing, the people I was hanging out with, like I should have died or hurt somebody or like whatever it is because I didn't understand the weight of our life is short, fragile, and not, we're not in control. 
But if you've been around death, if you've been around these hard circumstances that just come upon you, you'll get this. Some of the examples that I have for this is in 1999, a 12-year-old suffocated from playing a classroom game, Chubby Bunny. Like, I played that game in school, and at her school, playing this classroom game, suffocates, gone, 12-year-old. 2012, one of my favorite pastors, Levi Lisko, five-year-old daughter passes away from an asthma attack. Normal day, regular day, has a cough, has an asthma attack, gone, just like that. In 2016, some good friends of ours, they go on a vacation the same place they go every year, and the 10-year-old and his dad pass away from a jet ski accident, just like that. Not too long ago, a 32-year-old went on a run and didn't come home. Like we get, if we've been close to death, that it is fragile, it is short, and we are not in control. And so we are not here very long. We know death is coming, and so I'll ask you again, what are you planning for? What are you worrying about? And is it adding to our short, fragile, not-in-control life? In our own worry, ability, and strength, and us thinking that we can control things by planning, we will waste our life. But what I've found through the faithfulness of God and the truth of his word is that he wastes nothing. And so this is how James wants to us to view ourselves, is that we are short, we live a fragile life, and we are not in control. But this is how he wants us to view God. So God is everlasting, meaning he has always been, he will always be. He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and he is fully in control. He's sovereign. He has real authority over Everything and everyone. And James tells us this in 4.15. So he says, instead, instead of thinking in arrogance, instead of planning in arrogance, this is what you should say. If the Lord wills, we will live. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. And when I read this, I immediately thought of the story of Job. And if you haven't read Job, I encourage you to go read Job. But Job goes through an incredible amount of suffering. Loses his family. I mean, loses everything he had going. Everything he was planning for got taken away. And there's a moment where Job says, hey, God, have you just disappeared? Have you just left my presence? Do you not see what's going on? And this is what God tells Job in 38, 4. He says, where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched an, a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments and total darkness its blanket, when I determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place, when I declared you may come this far but no further, your proud waves stop here. And I didn't realize this until the other day. I just didn't realize how long it was. But there is four chapters of God telling Job who he is 
that he's the one that tells the sun to rise, that he's the one that tells the moon to set. Like, he is God. He knows the details, way more details than Job could ever realize. And this is Job's response in 42. It says that I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be hindered. You asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with arrogance, ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wondrous for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. When I questioned you, you will inform me. I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I reject my words. I am sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. That was his response to the Lord. And then this is what Ephesians says about Jesus. Ephesians 1.20. It says, he exercised his power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So not only is he reigning now, but he's going to reign for eternity. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. This is God. We are breathing today because God is allowing it. Your neighbor who you're sitting next to, they are breathing today because God is allowing it. God can give life. God can take life. And because of this, our heart's posture should be humbly saying, God, I will live if you will it. Whatever will bring you glory and whatever will build your kingdom, that is how I want to plan my days. With you as the driver of my life. Because you are eternal. You are all-knowing, all-powerful, fully in control. And you care for me. And this is a big one because the God of the universe, the God who created the stars, the God who is in control fully of everything, he cares for you and for me. He wants to be in a personal covenant relationship with us. And I love Matthew 6 because you see this. You see over and over God saying, hey, I protect the birds and I provide for the birds. I love you way more than that. I clothe the lilies and don't you know that I, I love you way more than the lilies. I know you need these things. I will provide for you because I care for you. But in Matthew 6, 32, 33, it says, for, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you. And I love this passage because what Jesus is saying is, hey, you don't have to worry like the world worries. You don't have to plan like the world plans. Seek first my kingdom. Seek first me as your king and all of those things will come. But seek first me. Put me first. And when non-believers, when our friends look at our lives, they should be asking, why do you plan your days like God is in control of your steps? 
Or man, you're going through such hard things. Why aren't you worrying? Why aren't you anxious? Like why isn't there this thing in you that is just freaking out? And our answer should be because I seek God in his kingdom first. He is in control. And God isn't random. He isn't lazy. He's not up in heaven not doing anything when it comes to the things we're going through, the suffering we're walking through. God, he's in the process of redeeming all things back to himself. Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God's not random. He's not lazy. And he has called us into this good work to love him, to love people, and to make disciples. If we plan incorrectly and worry profusely, we will waste our life. But if we humbly understand who we are and understand who God is, we will have an abundant life filled with love, purpose, power, and meaning. And so this is what James is wanting to see. He's wanting to us to view ourselves correctly, and he's wanting us to view God correctly, that we are not in control, that we have no idea what tomorrow brings, but God does. And for us to trust him, for us to lean in to him, for us to seek his kingdom and his glory first. And so out of that view of who we are and who God is, how do we not worry and plan correctly? So the first thing, to not worry and plan correctly is we have to sweep our side of the street. We have to sweep our side of the street. And my mom used to tell me this all the time. Like if I was in a fight with someone or if I didn't like my dad at the time or like whatever it was, she'd tell me, hey, babe, there's two streets and all you can do is sweep your side. So make sure you're doing what you need to do for that relationship or that situation or whatever. And so sweeping our side of the street, what that means in this scenario is James is not saying that planning is bad. He's not saying don't plan for everything. We see this in Proverbs 30. So Proverbs 30 praises the ants, animal ants, for being hard workers and storing up food for the summer. In Luke 14, Jesus talks about planning out your decisions, thinking through the details of your decisions. He would say, hey, that's wise. You need to do that. And then Proverbs 13 talks about leaving an inheritance to your family, being good with your finances, planning out your finances for the good of you and other people. But are we doing it with a humble heart that says, God, I understand who I am and I understand who you are. I want to be led by you. I want to be guided by you. Are we saying, hey God, I don't care anything about my selfish desires. I don't care about any of the things that I like want to do or whatever it is. All I wanna do is I wanna love you more. I wanna love people more. I wanna make disciples and so I'm gonna plan out my days as if I'm thinking of your kingdom, as if you're my king as if you're controlling my steps because he is. When we plan correctly, we say, hey God, this life isn't about me. It's all about your kingdom. It's all for your glory. And so no, no matter what I go through, 
no matter what I'm struggling with, maybe I have to make a decision that I'm not comfortable with, if it brings you glory, if it's for the good of your people, that is how I will plan out my days. And so we have to plan correctly, knowing that Jesus is the king and the driver of our lives. And Jesus, in Matthew 6, he isn't saying, hey, just be lazy. Hey, just sit around and I'm going to provide everything for you. And I think the birds is a great example of this. Mama bird is not just in the nest looking up at the sky with her mouth open. That is not what's happening for her to feed herself and the kids. When she gets hungry, she's going to go find food. Like she's going to go find the things that she needs for her to eat and for her kiddos to eat. And so for us, we have to sweep our side of the street when it comes to action, when it comes to being obedient, when it comes to being faithful with the things that God puts in front of us. And this makes me think about the word worry versus concern. And so worry is what we don't want to do, right? So worry focuses on things that are out of our control, things that we can't do anything about, things that probably aren't even going to happen. But concerns focuses on challenges that lead us to action. There are going to be things in our lives that is concerning. And we can't just sit back and say, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord to heal it. I'm just, I'm just going to wait and I'm not going to do anything. Maybe God calls you to do that sometimes. But if your marriage is failing, it's a concern and so I would say, get some, account, like a counselor, get some help, read some good marriage books, like lead to some action in that. If your finances are going down the tubes, like get on a budget, give God your first, like if there's a concern there, be faithful with what God gives you. If your relationships are out of whack, pick up the phone and have the awkward conversation that needs to be had. Like there are some things that we can do to help the concerns in our lives and to actually help God heal and renew our stuff. Man, if you have sin in your life, please do not just sit back and say, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna wait. I'm just gonna be shameful and guiltful and then I'm just gonna repeat this sin cycle over and over again until God delivers me. It's like, no, get an accountability partner. Start telling your flesh no. Like there are some things that you can do to be obedient with the things that God gives you to be faithful to him and his kingdom. So we have to sweep our side of the street when it comes to planning, when it comes to not worrying but leaning into action, leaning into obedience. So we have to sweep our side of the street. And the second one is we have to trust God with the rest. So we need to sweep our side of the street and we need to trust God with the rest. I love this quote from Greg Rochelle. It says, what you worry about the most reveals where you trust God the least. And I would say this is the same when it comes to planning or control. When we worry, when we plan incorrectly, Deep down somewhere, what we're saying is, God, I just don't trust you. I don't trust you with my kids. I don't trust you with my family. I don't trust you with my shame or my sin. I don't trust you with my life. And so I'm going to hold tight. I'm going to plan. I'm going to get what's mine. I'm going to worry if needed because I just don't trust you. And this is the scary part for us 
because some of you are saying, okay, Katie, well, what if I surrender all of my life? What if I surrender my planning over to the sovereign God who's actually in control? What if I stop to worry and what if God doesn't come through? What if he allows suffering? What if I don't get what I want? All these worldly things I'm worrying about and the things that I want, what if that doesn't come to pass if I hand over control to him, if I start to trust him? And there's two things with this. I feel like these questions, they're still saying, I only care about me. I want what I want. I want to be successful. I want a family like me, me, me. And so my heart for us, as we start to trust God more, as we start to view ourselves correctly and to view him correctly, would we start to say, hey, God, I don't care about my fleshly sinful desires. I don't care about all my worry about the things of the world. I want you. I trust you and your way is better for my life than anything I could plan. And so God, I wanna be about your kingdom. I wanna be about your people. Like I just hope as we start to relinquish control to him that that would start to be our heart. God, make your will my will. Like let our hearts beat as one. I wanna be wherever you want me to be, whatever that brings. But two, I think that we need to get to a place where we say, no matter what I go through, no matter what I do, God has already proven his faithfulness to me. God has already proven his faithfulness. There was a long time ago, like four years ago or something, me and my whole family go to Mexico. And if y'all don't know, I'm Greg's niece, so I used to be a Sizemore. And there's a lot of us. Like when we went to Mexico together, I think there was like 16 or something, 16 or 18. And so we go to Mexico. I'd never been really excited about it. And so we get in this big condo for my whole family. So this condo, you like go off the road and there's just a gate. There's not like a code, nothing like that. You just walk into the gate and then you have like our rooms. And so all of our rooms were outside of the condo. So you had a room, a room, a room, and then you have a kitchen and a living room and then the same thing on top. And me and Connor were the first room next to the gate. And I know I talked about Connor's planning. I can be a worrier. Like I think of the worst scenario possible that's gonna happen. Like that's just how, we're, I, we're all gonna die is what I think, right? Uh, which, like we've talked about, could happen. But anyways, I am a worrier sometimes. I just, I amp myself up and I just think something's going, going to go wrong. And for me, I'm really nervous about like someone taking me or hurting me. Like I just, I freak out sometimes. And so I realized that we're right off the road here in the gate and then we're the first room. So if someone comes in, we're the first to go. Like that's just what I'm thinking. And so I, we get into our room and I, I'm freaking out. Like I want to go home. I'm scared. I don't want to do this. And Connor was like, you need to get yourself together because we are not going home. We have already paid for this trip. Like we're in Mexico, Katie. Like get it together. And so I'm, I'm worrying still, and, and I love, even on vacations, I love getting up early. I'm a morning person, so I love getting up early. I love um, spending time with the Lord early in the morning. And we're in Mexico, like on the beach. So like this is going to be the best quiet time I've ever had in my life. But I'm thinking, I can't get up early. Like if I go out into the kitchen by myself, anybody can just grab me and no one's going to know. 
And so this is what I'm thinking. I'm just so nervous about this trip. And then I was like, you know what? My dad gets up early sometimes. I'll just ask him. And, and so I went to him. I said, hey, dad, what time are you getting up in the morning? He was like, oh, babe, I'll, I'll, I'll be up early. And I said, no, no, no. What time are you getting up? And he was like, Katie, I promise you I'm going to be up earlier than you. I'll make coffee for us and we'll do our quiet times together. And when I heard this, worry left, planning left, my dad was going to be there. I was like completely good to go for the rest of the trip. And guess what? My dad was there. Coffee made. We all did our quiet times together at like 5.30 in the morning. It was incredible. And I wasn't worried at all because my dad, I was going to be in my dad's presence. And the reason I didn't have to worry, the reason I didn't have to plan or, or mull over situations or whatever is because for all of my life, my dad has proven that he loves me more than anything in this world. He has proven that he would protect me over himself every single time. He has proven that I'm just safe when I'm with him. And so I was good. And this is what God has done for us through Jesus. When he sent his son Jesus, he did that out of his kindness. He looked at us and said, man, they're never going to be able to measure up. They're never going to be able to be in communion, a union relationship with me. Like it's never going to happen through their strength. And so I'm going to send my son Jesus to be a perfect example, to be a perfect sacrifice. And here's the thing about Jesus. I believe that he understood the temptation of leaning into worry. I believe that he understood the temptation of leaning on his own power and his own authority, but he was a great example for us to say, you know what, I'm not going to lean into worry. I'm going to be faithful and obedient with what God my Father puts in front of me. He did a great example of saying, you know what, this part of my life when he was going to die is scary, but God, not my will, but your will. He was a perfect example for us, lived a perfect life, claimed to be God. And because of that, he was murdered on a cross, took your sin, took my sin, trades places with us, takes on the very wrath of God, but then three days later is risen from the grave, from the power of the Holy Spirit, defeating death, defeating sin for all eternity so that you and I could have a personal relationship with him. And now the Bible says that if you confess him with Lord, if you hand over control and you say, God, I trust you with my life, you will be saved. You become a child of God. You are given that very Holy Spirit within you. And we will be with Jesus for eternity. We have, made, we have been made whole. We have been renewed. And now this life that we live, it's, it is short. It is fragile. But it's not random. Like God, again, he's not lazy. He is doing something within you. He is doing something within our community. And now he's saying, I want you to be a part of it. I want you to help me redeem and renew everything back to myself. And so through Jesus... God proves his love for you. He proves that he has eternally secured you as his. And he has proved that he is faithful. No matter what happens to you, 
no matter what happens to me, no matter what suffering comes, no matter if I get what I want or what I don't, God is faithful. And I can promise you that through God the Father, you will not be abandoned. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be comforted. And through the blood of Jesus, you will be eternally healed and whole. Let me pray for us. God, I am so thankful for your authority in our lives. I'm so thankful that you're sovereign and I'm not. God, I don't even fully understand the magnitude of who you are. But God, I know that you love us. I know that you're for us. I know that you're faithful. You've proven it over and over and over again. And so God, I just pray against arrogance in the room. If there are people, including myself, if we think that we have any type of control over our families, over our time, over our success, over our money, Holy Spirit, would you like, please convict us in this moment that we have no idea what tomorrow brings. That we have no idea what's in store for us, but we do know that you're faithful. We do know that you have a plan. We do know that you're moving and working in us through your son Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so God, as we plan correctly, as we deal with the concerns that come up in our lives, as we lean into obedience, would you be with us in that? And God, I, I pray, I know this like feels like maybe a sad message, but I feel incredibly encouraged that my, my days aren't random, that you're not lazy, that you're not just letting me walk in suffering because, God, you are making all things new. And for those who love you, you are using even bad things that the enemy wants for us in our lives, man, you are using them for good. And so would we change our thought process to me? And would we think about your kingdom? Would we think about your glory? Would we think about your people? God, and I feel like this is hard as well. Like, how do we plan with you in control? How do we not worry? And I know I gave next steps, but, but God, we need you in this. So Holy Spirit, I am asking you, to teach us how to do this. Please teach me how to plan with you as the driver, as you as my king. Please teach me how to not worry and how to know that you're my dad and you, 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 you have me. Crazy things can happen to us on this, on this earth, but God, eternally, we have hope for the future because of Jesus. So God, again, convict where there needs to be conviction, comfort where there needs to be comfort. God, help us in not worrying and planning correctly. I love you so much. And in your name I pray, amen.